Oh, postpartum. That blurry, blissful time after you have your baby. But what's it really like? What can you expect? How does it really feel to bring a new baby home? Hey, I'm Chelsea, and here on The Postpartum Project, I get to talk to real moms about their postpartum experiences, because I believe that sharing our stories can help other moms feel seen and less alone. Yep, it's messy, but it's also pretty magical. Welcome to The Postpartum Project. Today I'm talking to Cassidy. She has a four-year-old son, a two-month-old daughter, and just a heads up, we're going to be talking about pregnancy loss, birth trauma, and postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD in today's episode. So if that's something that's tough for you to listen to, you can skip this one. But Cassidy's story is amazing, and I'm so excited for you all to hear it. Here's Cassidy. Hey, Cassidy. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to hear your stories. So um, tell me a little bit about you. What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? All that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I'm two months postpartum, so there's not a lot of fun happening right now <laughs> beyond like the just surviving the day to day, right? Um, but for work, I actually just maybe not changed profession so much, but changed um, what I'll be doing with work. So I am um, about one year away from being licensed as a professional counselor. And I, after this last baby was born, instead of going back to work as a school-based therapist at a high school, I quit my job and decided to start as an independent contractor for two different places. So I will be a grief counselor at the Richard Lambert Foundation and um, working with moms, couples, families, parents in um, like reproductive concerns, um, loss, infertility, postpartum at the Luna Counseling Center. So starting like a new huge turn from working with a bunch of teenagers, but I'm really excited. Yeah, that's amazing. That sounds so cool. Um, So tell me about your family. Who's in your family and how did you come to be together? Yeah, well, my husband is Nate and we met in high school. So we have been together since we were both 17. So I don't know how many years that is, a lot. (laughs) Um, And we've been married seven years. Um, So we've been together I don't know, a lifetime, it seems like. Uh, we have an almost four-year-old named Ellis and a two-month-old named Elliot. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I was Cassidy's photographer for a lot of her family photos, and so I know her kids by taking their mm-hmm. pictures, and I adore them. <laughs> <laughs> Starting at, like, one, I think Ellis was. Yeah, right? he was. I think he was. Oh, gosh. So um, I want to know a little bit about your journey to becoming pregnant with your kids and a little bit about that experience. Okay. Well, it, our, I guess, journey started in like 2013 when we got married. So we wanted to have babies like right away. And we tried for two years to get pregnant. Um, and it just wasn't happening. And I mean, at the time, I think we were taking it pretty easy. Like it didn't, we had like no time frame on it. But after that, we were like, something's wrong. Like that's a long time to be trying and for it to like not be working out. So we went to fertility specialist did we're like starting all the things, trying to figure out what was wrong and what was, what we could do to, I don't know, get pregnant. Um, and found out that I had PCOS, um, 
and that I have some mutation. I think it's like MTHFR, where I don't um, absorb folic acid. That actually, we didn't find out about that until a little bit later. I'm skipping ahead. But so we found out that we were going to need to start some fertility treatments. Um, and we were like, all gung ho to do that. And then found out that Nate was going to be deployed within like the next couple months to like a year. And so we said, you know, like, I'm not going to be pregnant by myself. I don't want to deliver a baby by myself. So like, let's just wait until you're back and we'll start. Well, I got pregnant the next month and <laughs> that was, you know, of course how that works. Um, and I kind of knew right away that something was wrong, um, was not, I wasn't happy. Like I, I saw the positive and I was like, it's, this isn't going to work out. Like something's wrong. And so we went to all our appointments, like everything was great. They told us the baby is perfectly healthy. Um, and I would like leave, we'd get to the parking lot and I'm like, they're wrong. Like they're missing something. And we didn't find out until 16 weeks that that baby had anencephaly mm. and that she was going to die. Mm. Um, so it was strange to like have that confirmed. Like my intuition was so strong the entire pregnancy. I just, I knew it in my gut. Um, and uh, our, our timing was, I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't know the words how to describe that, but she died at 18 weeks mm. um, and was delivered and Nate was deployed three days later. Wow. So yeah, yeah. So I was on my own and like postpartum on my own in grief. Like it was just a, it was horrible. I mean, I even look back to this day and think like, oh my God, I can't believe that people survive stuff like that. It's crazy. Um, but like, that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do. Like grief counseling saved my life. And I mean, I just didn't, I didn't even know then like what I know now about like my postpartum experience. So that was obviously my first experience postpartum. Like they told me my milk wasn't going to come in. My milk came in the next day, like just through the ringer, right? Like pretty severe postpartum depression and anxiety that started then. Um, and just crazy that like I, I didn't know that that's what it was. Mm, yeah, that is wild. Oh my gosh. I want to talk more about that a little bit as we keep going. Um, mm. But tell me about your pregnancy experiences with um, your son mm. and now your youngest daughter. Yeah. Um, well, with Ellis, he was, because the baby had anencephaly before, um, We, when Nate got back, we assumed that we were going to have to do fertility treatments again, because we like, I wasn't going to mess around. Like we're going to start from the get go. Nate came back. We like checked in with our doctor to like get started. She's like, just don't do anything. Like come back next month and we'll start. We came back next month and I was pregnant. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't oh even gosh. need a specialist apparently. Came back. I'm like, you're so good at your job. Look at just your office makes me pregnant. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So he was actually considered like high risk the whole time because of the prior diagnosis, but he was like, lovely perfect the whole time we had like a million ultrasounds and he was breached pretty much from the get-go so he was ended up being a scheduled c-section um i mean do you want me to go into like El like my pregnancy with elliot yeah I'd then, love that. I, either okay. yeah let's talk about your pregnancy with elliot and then we can talk about your birth experiences okay um so he was a scheduled c-section well yeah we'll talk about the 
birth then later. But um, with Elliot, again, got pregnant, like, maybe like the first or second time that we like tried. <laughs> um, and she was good. Everything like checked out. They didn't consider me like high risk at the beginning because everything with Ellis went perfectly. Um, and at 16 weeks, which is crazy. Like it was almost within days of like the timing that we found out something was wrong with our first baby. Like as far as like the gestation period, I was at Costco and started like, I don't know, hemorrhaging, like bleeding out basically. And I was in the bathroom thinking like, I'm, well, I'm going to miscarry at Costco. Like this is the most horrific thing that like I could imagine. My, thank God I was with my mother-in-law cause I had my son. She brought me to the ER. It took four, five hours before they gave me an ultrasound to find out if the baby was alive. And she was, she's perfect, but they diagnosed me with a, a complete previa. So my um, placenta was entire, like completely over my cervix. So they're like, get ready for like another C-section. Um, that doctor kind of freaked me out that we saw in the ER, kept saying like, you're going to be on full bed rest. You can't be within 10, oh, more than 10 minutes away from a hospital because you could die. And like, was just, he freaked me out. <laughs> it was, it was terrifying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we spent a couple days in the hospital um, trying to get like the bleeding to stop. I was on full bed rest for over a month, um, was back at work at the high school for three days and then COVID hit. So <laughs> we were then at home, which was actually great because I was, it was going to be way too much. There's no way I could have worked. I ended up like being on bed rest the rest of the pregnancy um, and then got diagnosed with an accreta. Um, I don't know what week that was. So when your placenta grows into the wall of your uterus mm. and a, that's a fatal, it can be fatal diagnosis. They can't really, I had like an MRI, a bunch of ultrasounds. They can't really tell how bad it is until they operate. And so they prepare for like massive blood loss. They prepare for a hysterectomy. They prepare for like bowel repairs. And if it like grows into other organs, like it's just mess. So yeah, so we spent then the rest of that pregnancy worried that like I could die, like preparing wills and stuff. So it, it my, all, all pregnancies have been completely different. Um, yeah. And yeah. Wow. Insane. Very. Oh my golly. So um, tell me about your birth with Ellis a little bit. That was the easier pregnancy from what I'm hearing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely the easier pregnancy and surprisingly like the worst delivery. Mm. It, I really, I spent my entire pregnancy with him, like prepping myself for a natural birth. Like I was gonna, like doing a tub, like, you know, like the dream. Right. Um, and that obviously didn't happen. And I'd spent month, like every day, meditating and learning how to like you know calm myself in those emotions and I it we got to like the actual c-section and I'm like there's no amount of like deep breathing that could like calm me in those moments it was terrifying and I really wasn't prepared for what the reality of like being awake and like being cut open was like that I don't know it wasn't they I guess I don't react well to like the medication that they use in the epidural. So they did my epidural 
and I was telling him like, I'm going to pass out. Like I can't breathe. My lungs weren't expanding. It was like moving into like, it moved like way too high. So I like felt like I couldn't swallow. <laughs> I like couldn't breathe. So they had to give me a bunch of medication to like, I don't know, bring it back down. Cause my blood pressure was then really low and too low that I was like kind of incoherent, like unconscious for most of it. So like too low mm. then at that point. So like, don't remember him being born really. I was like in and out of consciousness, um, which is to me so lovely that we had a birth photographer because those are like my only memories of him being born. Um, and my recovery from the C-section was horrible because I, I don't like pain medication. So I was like super stubborn. We left the hospital within two days and I'm like, I'm never taking anything again. Like I'll be fine. And that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Right. I thought like, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. Well, I slept on our couch sitting up for like a week and a half once we got home. Cause I was miserable and in so much pain, couldn't get up the stairs. It was, it was rough. I hated it. So I was like, Oh, I'm never going to have a C-section again. I'm going to go for a V-back the second time. And you know, yeah. <laughs> Can't make plans yeah. for these things. Yeah. Oh, golly. So then tell me about Elliot's birth. Cause I think that, um, mm-hmm. I know since I know you, I know it was mm-hmm. a little bit different. Um, but tell, yeah. tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah. So we, again, another scheduled C-section, um, they had me with, um, a specialist this go around because accretas, like I said, can be really dangerous. And my doctor in hospital was not prepared for what that would look like. So they transferred me to um, Presbyterian St. Luke's and um, they made me check in the night before she was born to like, make sure I wasn't anemic, make sure I didn't need like, you know, levels or blood or anything like that. Um, And, uh, you know, just because my last experience had been so terrible, they were like the delivery with Ellis was something I would describe as traumatic. It just was not pleasant at all. that they were really awesome. I had every, pretty much every doctor, every um, anesthesiologist that was going to be in the room check in with me before. And we talked about how to, um, instead of doing um, a spinal, I got an epidural, which I didn't know you could get those during C-sections, but um, just to like make, make sure I was like present for the birth of this baby, basically. Um, they were awesome. But even the next morning, they, things start by like 4am. It's like rolling rapid fire. Um, they got us into the OR and there was like 30 plus people in there. Just like so bizarre. Um, I remember the epidural being like way worse this, the second time than it was with Ellis. I don't know if it's because it's different, goes into a different spot. I'm not sure, but I was, I almost wished that I had been incoherent. I wanted them to like put me out. I was like, give me anxiety meds. Like I can't, I can't do this. Cause it's like, once they cut you open, that's like go time. That's when you find out how bad it is. That's when you find out if like they need to totally put me under to like deliver this baby and keep me alive and safe. And the anesthesiologist was incredible. He like stood over my head and just like rubbed my face and told me it's going to be okay. Like your oxygen's fine. Like you're doing great. Like she's almost here. She's almost here. And I, I remember everything about her delivery and I remember like hearing her first cry and it made me cry. Whereas like with Ellis, I was like, what, what's happening? I don't, I was just so out of it. So like this one, I was like, Oh my God, like I'm having a baby. Like this is incredible. Um, 
so that was, it was really special and everything actually turned out great. My placenta like popped right out. I had very minimal blood loss. Like it was just incredible. I mean, recovery time, even really beautiful. We had to, we'll talk about, I guess maybe that a little bit, but we had to stay five days in the hospital because the baby wasn't doing great. She was scheduled at 38 weeks, which isn't early, but just wasn't, wasn't doing well for the first couple of days. But, um, yeah, by the time we were like the five days was up, I'm like, get me out of here. Like, I want to go home. I feel great. Like I was up and walking around the block in less than a week. Um, and like just feeling so much better this time around. So that's been a saving grace. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of along those same lines, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what it was like moving into postpartum with your son, Ellis, um, after having a really pretty traumatic birth experience and feeling very incoherent during his birth. I'd be interested to know just, yeah, tell us about your postpartum experience, how you moved into that stage. Right. Well, I, I really like looking back on that time makes me so sad because I was, I had no, I had no idea like what was going to happen. I mean, I, you hear about postpartum, like as this like abstract thing, you know, like the, Oh, you're not going to sleep. Your baby poops a lot. Like, you know, those things, but it's like, emotionally, I had no clue what that was going to look like. And so like looking back on it, I was, I was so detached from him. And I thought that was like, so bizarre. Like I remember like even weeks after he was born, like I loved him and I like thought he was cute. Like I wanted to keep it. I didn't want to like hurt him. I didn't want to hurt myself, but I was like, he can like come or go. Like, I don't feel that like insane love that like parents say that they feel like I just I just didn't have it and that was so shameful for me I didn't tell anyone I don't think I told anyone until like recently even that like I had this that experience with him um because I didn't know people felt like that and I was like I was afraid if I told someone they were gonna be like well maybe we should like put you somewhere or take your baby right like I was just so so worried about that um so I had a lot of, a lot of anxiety and a lot of what I know now to be like postpartum depressive symptoms. So feeling really angry and, um, lots of intrusive thoughts and being so, so worried that like he was going to get hurt if I like walked down the stairs. So I used to like, my husband just reminded me of this the other day. I used to scoot on my butt down the stairs when I was carrying, because I was so afraid I would drop him down all our stairs or like, I would be like cutting vegetables and he'd be like in the other room and I'd be afraid that like the knife would like fly across the room, like just crazy, crazy stuff. And honestly, I didn't even know that that was like, hello, like postpartum OCD intrusive thoughts until probably like four or five months ago. So just crazy stuff that I, I didn't know was actually normal. And so it was a, it was definitely a rough transition into postpartum. It wasn't, that beautiful, lovely, I don't know, story that we all want. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's crazy um, to hear you talk about the intrusive thoughts because I had that too with my first daughter. Not really, really bad, but I would feel like 
I'd be giving her a bath and it's, I would think, what if I just drown her? Like, I don't want to do that. That's not something that I want. Mm -hmm. And it scared me. And yeah, I didn't know it was a thing until Mm -hmm. way later. And I've heard that from other moms too. So I think it's so, I'm so thankful to you for telling that part of your story. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that a lot of moms do feel a lot of shame about that. Um, and it's not normal, but it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And that too, I think it like, you have these thoughts that are horrifying and you're like, if I tell someone they're going to lock me up, like there is no way someone's going to let me keep this infant. If I tell them that I think like chopping vegetables is somehow going to cause a knife to fly through there. Right. Like it, you don't tell anyone. So I, I didn't seek any help after him. Like, and I, which is kind of disturbing to me now that like, I'm an educated professional in this, like how I've been, um, how they're supposed to like tech and they're supposed to monitor for like depressive symptoms at your postpartum visits at your baby's pediatrician appointments. And I had filled out so many of those, not with my doctor, but with my son's doctor, which again, bizarre that like, a pediatrician would ask me, but not my OB, but, um, had all those things. I would like check all the boxes and no one followed up. So it was like just falling through the cracks so much. So I, that is really disturbing to me now to know that like, it's not just me. There's probably think about how many other women are in the same, in the same place, not knowing that like, Hey, this isn't okay. And I need some help and support with this. Yeah, absolutely. So you were not actually diagnosed with any postpartum depression or OCD. Wow. That's wild. Not not with Ellis. Not with Ellis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. So were you diagnosed when you had your first birth with your first daughter? Nope. I wasn't with her either. And that's where my, where my anxiety started for sure. I mean, I've always been kind of a warrior, perfectionist, like control freak. But after that, you have an experience like that. And it's like, well, I literally have no control over the things in my life. And I spiraled, I mean, to the point of like agoraphobia on some days, like couldn't leave my house. I had to like leave grocery carts in the aisle at Walmart because I couldn't check out. Like I couldn't stand in line long enough to check out because my anxiety was so high. I, it's crazy that I even got through my grad program because she died in June. I started in January and that's like when my anxiety was the highest. Like I could barely sit in a classroom because I would be like checking my pulse. I would be like heart racing, feeling like I'm going to throw up just for hours, like just at its peak. And I mean, I was diagnosed with PTSD after her and obviously like an, an anxiety disorder, but nothing related to postpartum. So that's nuts. <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of women probably slipping through the cracks. And it's crazy because mm-hmm. I do feel like the statistic of how many women have postpartum depression is it's high kind of at 40%, I believe is what it is. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's as high as it really is. I think it's much right. higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I think like you think depression and you think crying sadness, but that's like, that doesn't even cover the range of emotional experiences and that fit with under like the diagnosis of postpartum depression. So we're even, you're probably, I mean, you, I think of like the questionnaire that you fill out for postpartum depression. It doesn't even check on, you know, some of the, oops, 
Okay, sorry, I just got a like a error message oh, on my computer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, you think about like the questionnaire of like what it asks about for you know postpartum depression or anxiety, and it doesn't cover like like I said, rage. That's one for me that I was like, where is this coming from? Like I'm not an angry person, and yet like I could tell my little kid to like f off some days because I am like just so over it. So I think like even as like a woman, you don't know because you're not even looking for the right symptoms all the time. So it's, it's really frustrating to me. Absolutely. It's very frustrating to me too. Um, and that's why I'm doing this whole project is because I feel like we don't talk about it enough and people don't even know, not just of the depression piece, but all of it, there's so much that we just Mm -hmm. don't talk about and we just don't even know what to expect at all. It's crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. so after having those two experiences where you were definitely having some, um, mental health struggles and then you had your youngest daughter just a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about how that's been going with sort of this new toolbox of knowledge and pulling Mm -hmm. from your previous experiences as well. Um, how's that been going this go around? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, um, since our first daughter was born, I've been pretty consistently in therapy. Um, and like I said, interesting that I've never been diagnosed with like a postpartum diagnosis, but like I had, like you said, tools, I knew how to cope a little bit better. But once we got the accreta diagnosis, like that, that was really tough to sit with. I mean, like I, there was one night where I had therapy and then I got off the phone with her and I wrote like, goodbye letters to my kids and to my husband, like in case I died. And like, just, it was too much. Like it was just, it was too much and nothing against like that therapist that I was with, but she just didn't have enough knowledge of like the, the experience of like pregnancy of like the postpartum experience. So, um, I ended up switching therapists to someone who, um, has, like who has been trained by postpartum support international. Like that's like the, the name, if you want someone to work with, um, for like postpartum mood, mental health issues. So, um, having someone who understood a little bit better has been really, really helpful. Um, and I think too, I was so hyper-focused on like not having an experience like last time that like, there were things like I didn't take pain meds this time. I'm like, no, like I will manage my pain because pain is a huge trigger for some of these things. I've got, I can't move. Like I have a toddler at home. So if I can't move, we're going to have problems. Like I'm going to feel even worse if I don't have good meals at home. Like I'm going to feel terrible if I don't have support, you know, with taking naps with things like that. Like I know that, I know what my triggers are and like not having sleep is one of them. So knowing when to ask for help has been really, really good. Or like when I notice when I have one of those like intrusive thoughts that I know is like super bizarre, it's irrational. Like it's just not going to happen. Just like telling my husband, like right now I'm thinking like, this is the thought that I'm having and just like getting it out has been so helpful because we can kind of like chuckle about it together. So it's not like a, it's not then immediately like something I have to shove down. It's not shameful. It just is like a crazy thought that I had and we can like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. So we can laugh about it together instead of 
me being then spending the rest of the night worried about something bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so great to have just the ability to not control your new experience, but have the ability to kind of be a little bit more in charge of what you're experiencing and having those tools to know how to ask for support and to ask for support just at all. Because I think mm-hmm. so many times for us women, it's so hard to ask for help and ask for support because mm-hmm. you don't even know who to ask, how to ask, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so cool that you're able to this go around sort of have more of that be in charge of asking for support and getting it for sure Mm -hmm. um well I think too I just didn't know what resources were available like I had what I know now was not like a normal breastfeeding relationship with Ellis like it hurt every single time and I thought like that's fine it just hurts like they make nipple creams for a reason not knowing that like he had a severe tongue and lip tie that like made it terrible we nursed for nine months and it just wasn't good. So like this time I knew right away, like something's wrong. I'm calling a lactation consultant. Like we have support that way. So just knowing the resources that are available to you and that like they're out there. And like, if, you know, as a tired new mom, like look that stuff up before your postpartum, like look it up when you're pregnant. So you know who you want to call before. Yeah. Build your team before before you're in it and you're in the trenches and you don't know who to call and you don't even know where to look, that is such good right. advice to look and build your team, build your support before mm-hmm. you need it. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, breastfeeding and feeding in general. So um, mm-hmm. you nursed your son for nine months. I'm chuckling because for nine months with a lip and tongue tie, that probably was incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> so talk yeah. to me a little yeah. bit about that. Um. Well, I wasn't even sure that I was going to breastfeed. So I, I don't know anyone who's nursed their baby. So I was like odd man out who even like considered it. Like, I don't know. I have one friend, I guess, but like the rest of them, like bottles, all of the women in my family bottles. Um, so I really had to like prep myself before like watching videos and like looking at pictures. Cause I wasn't sure if it was going to like freak me out or not. <laughs> so we get there and they just like hand you this baby and they're like, feed him like okay (laughs) like it just it just happened he was great like he latched right away um but then we got home and it was like toe curling like I would like squeal in pain like it was not pleasant and I was still recovering from the c-section so I was already like in pain so I I didn't know how to like hold him well when I was doing it so I would like lay him on a pillow and like hover like a cow like I'm not kidding you because I couldn't hold him so it was like just from the beginning we didn't have like I just didn't know what to do like I google the holds but unless you have someone like showing you who's like in the room grabbing and maneuvering things it's a lot harder so yeah every time he would latch and like get going it would like I'd have to like brace myself and like spine curling like pain for nine months yeah and I, my supply at that point just kind of like dropped off and I was doing everything like the teas, the cookies, the what have you all pumping, like power pumping, like just doing crazy stuff to like build it up. And I like got to the point where I was like, I was just so devastated by it. I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. And I'm like, well, I'll just 
do what I can until like it's gone. I was so sad. And like thinking that like we were going to have to wean, it was going to be like really horrible. And one day at like nine months, I went to nurse him and I'm like trying to get him to latch. And he like pulls away and he looks up at me and just starts belly laughing at me, like in my face, just laughing that I'm like trying, (laughs) trying to feed him. So I'm like, we're done. Like, this is it. It, I think it dried up instantly. Like we were just done. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Switch to bottles and formula. That's good. Oh man. It was a traumatic for me a little bit, but he didn't care. Yeah. So how was that emotionally to wean him when you kind of were feeling sad about it at that time. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I think it was sad until like he made like that to me was like a sign from him. Like, it's fine. Like this is, you're killing yourself over nothing. Like it's not for him. It wasn't a big deal. So like, it's not like I had to be like, no, no baby. Like we're not nursing today. Like he just didn't care. Like he never tried to like initiate again. Like it just wasn't wasn't a thing so I think I was more sad to the lead up than like when it actually happened it was just like all right we're done. that's ki- that's kind <laughs> of like the best case scenario that you guys yeah. as mom oh, and yeah. son worked together to be like you know what this isn't mm-hmm. working anymore and mm-hmm. that's okay I think that's awesome mm-hmm. so um then moving into your second postpartum experience did you mm-hmm. have some different thoughts about it or expectations about it and how has that gone so far um, honestly, like, I don't think I thought about the nursing part of it until like we were getting close to delivery. And I was like, oh gosh, we're going to have to do this again. <laughs> like, I don't have fond memories of it. I hate pumping like with a blazing passion. I hate it so much. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like I forgot what it's like to be ruled by like breast pads <laughs> and like night pumping. And I was kind of dreading it. Um, but the transition again has been in the scene. They handed her to me right away. She latched. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that mother's intuition then kicked again, again, because it had been two days we were in the hospital and they were like getting ready to let us go. And they were, you know, they do those weighings all the time. They're like, she's losing weight. And I said, I've been telling you for days, like, I don't have, my milk hasn't come in. Like there's, I know what it feels like. Like I, I know that colostrum is different. It makes everything feel different, but I just knew. And I kept telling them like, there's nothing there. Um, So for two days, she just basically wasn't getting anything until she had dropped like 11% body weight and like from birth weight. And that's not good at 10%. They start to like get freaked out. Um, And we're like threatening to like keep us there longer. If I didn't supplement, I'm like, well, I've been asking for days. (laughs) So like, okay. Um, so we ended up using like donated breast milk and I don't think we used formula in the hospital, but after five days, like she had to do like all the Billy Rubin tests. She had to do with the light and everything. Um, because she had had like that, I guess, disadvantage for two days, like not really eating. Um, but that like third day, like my milk came in, everything was good. So they let us go home. Um, but I noticed pretty much right away that when she nurses, there's a, like a loud clicking noise. And I like when she's feeding, so it doesn't hurt. And I told like my pediatrician, like it doesn't hurt when she latches, but like, I think there's a tongue tie because I hear the clicking and I have like a heavy let down or a fast let down. And so I know that's making it hard. So we've tried to like, we've done the things to like 
work around that, make it easier for her. But like, she's swallowing lots of air. She's a very colicky baby because of that. Like it was just creating a big mess and my pediatrician has not been supportive. So called lactation consultant, um, who confirmed without saying like, yeah, there's, there's a, I don't know, there's a tie there. Um, so we have an appointment to get that released within like the next week and hopefully that helps. But for the most, I mean, she's like gaining weight. Great. She, eats better than my son. My son was lazy. We would have, I had like that app <laughs> that like told you which side to nurse on and like for how long you've been there. And we'd be like in the middle of the night and I'd look down and I'm like, you've been here for 90 minutes. Like, what are we doing? Like get like move it along son. Like this is outrageous. So she thankfully can wrap it up within like a normal amount of time. And so that's, <laughs> that's been a blessing. Yeah. That's known as nurse for 90 yeah minutes. that's totally different I mean completely different stories mm-hmm. wow oh my oh, yeah. gosh um so you also mentioned previously a little bit about sleep and how lack of sleep is really a trigger for you um so I, I want to know a little bit about that as far as your first um or your postpartum experience mm-hmm. with Ellis and now your postpartum experience mm-hmm. with Elliot um how mm-hmm. has sleep really been for you and how has it affected you Mm-hmm. Um, Ellis was actually a really good sleeper and he's still a really good sleeper, still a lazy eater. So these things, <laughs> these things don't change apparently, but he, um, would take a pacifier. So he would be like out cold. This baby will not take a pacifier, which is like the main of my existence. <laughs> Cause I think she would use it and it would be great, but she doesn't like it. Um, we were in more of a swing of things now. And I think I was I was just more prepared for it. I think like my husband had two weeks off, I think. Um, and like not being afraid to say like, you're doing diaper changes. Like I get that I'm going to be up nursing, but like, I'm not, I'm not going to be the only one who's doing this. So if one of us is going to be tired, we're both going to be tired. Um, so he's been really supportive and like helpful with stuff like that. And I still like, he's back to work obviously. And I'll still at the first time she wakes up, like have him change a diaper and somehow that like two minutes feels like very restful sleep. <laughs> um, but she's, she's in more of a, I don't know, more of like a schedule now. So she wakes up like once, yeah. maybe twice. I mean, 4am is supposed to be like a nighttime feed still, but we're like up at that point. So I'm tired, but it is. It is what it is. Yeah, postpartum comes with a lot of um, sleep deprivation. So that's definitely, I mean, to mm-hmm. be expected for right. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you, how have you felt emotionally this time with the lack of sleep? Because um, like you said, you were, it was triggering last mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a little bit of, I noticed, again, some of like those detachment feelings. And I think I noticed this time it's, it's, I'll tie a lot to my anxiety. So I, I notice again, like some of the intrusive thoughts and actually those, because I didn't know that that was something that was like, not that it's wrong, but that like, it's not something we should have to experience. I mean, there are ways to cope this. I'm thinking like, this is, I'm a mom now. So like, this is just what you think about. So like it, has been, I don't think it ever stopped. Like I had this 
like with Ellis, he's almost four. And before she was born, we got him a new big boy room and a big boy bed and it's a bunk bed. And I stay awake at night, like we'll be ears perked, like listening to see if he's going to fall out of his bed out the window into like the pavement outside. Like these things like don't, they haven't stopped. Right. So he's four and like that postpartum anxiety piece is like still there. So that I still notice things like that with her. So just new worries that you have about safety and your baby being alive. And those things are still there, but I, I know now that it's, that I can, I have people who can listen and I'm not afraid to like talk about those things. So that's helped tremendously. Yeah, I bet that has. And I think that it's, um, having more of a cognizance that this is, this could happen. These are some thoughts I could have and just kind of knowing a little bit more how to navigate that and knowing that it, Mm -hmm. knowing it's a possibility, I think is really great to have that awareness because I think that's what makes it so scary is that you're, you didn't Mm -hmm. know that you would have those feelings and, or thoughts. And now you're having these Mm -hmm. really intrusive and sometimes really cyclical thoughts that just keep spiraling Mm -hmm. and it feels so scary. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it seems, and I think I was just going to say, it seems like you're navigating it better for Mm -hmm. sure. Right. And I think too, that speaks to like, as a mom in the loss community too, like the worst thing you can imagine happening did happen to us. So how then can you possibly move through postpartum thinking like we can avoid this? Like babies die. We know this. Like I have an urn in our living room that speaks to that. Like there's, there's, it is so hard to avoid. And I think that I had, I wish that I had more more like educated support about that before the like pregnancy after loss, postpartum after loss, like life after loss is scary because you can't say like, okay, most people hear about SIDS and they're like, that happens to other people. And I want to be like, no, no, it's not like that happens. That happened to me. Well, not SIDS, but like that we've had that experience. So it's a lot harder to like wrap your head around and have like that, you know, the reality testing, reality checking, like, so to speak, like what we say in therapy, like that is a reality. And so it's without, with that like extra piece, it's, I don't know, it, it added a complexity to it that I wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. You could have never known that before you got pregnant for the first time. Mm -mm. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, so on that note, I would absolutely love to know, um, any words of wisdom or nuggets that you have for other moms that are in postpartum currently or preparing to enter Mm -hmm. that phase of life? Um, Yeah. What words of wisdom can you share for them? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, like we had already kind of talked about, like knowing what and who and where you're going to find support before there's a huge problem. Um, So you're not afraid to ask for help. So you know that, like you said, these things aren't maybe normal, but they're not uncommon. Um, even like who, who of your friends will come over and like help you with laundry. And do you have family member that'll watch the baby so you can take a nap? Like having those people and like asking them before, like, Hey, when I get, when it's been, you know, a week after the baby's born, like, can I call you to have you sit here? Like, I think that 
is so helpful because people want to, people want to help. And you get all those questions all the time. Like, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? It's like, I don't know. There's 5 million things you could do. And I can't think of one because I'm so, so tired. So like a list, like people will help you do laundry, like just ask. (laughs) And I think like just knowing beforehand that like these people have agreed to help. So I don't feel like I'm inconveniencing them when the time comes. Yes, absolutely. That hits so hard for me because I was so scared both times. I don't even know what my problem was, but just so (laughs) scared to ask for help. And it's like, people love you. They want to help you. Just ask. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's such good advice. Thank you so much for talking to me. I loved hearing your story and oh just such good little nuggets from you for the postpartum mamas out there so thank you yeah i love to be here thanks for having me and thank you so much listener i hope you enjoyed hearing cassidy's story as much as i did and if you did give us a rating share with your friends and subscribe it really helps other folks find our podcast and feel seen and less alone